0: Uh, Good morning, you can be seated. Uh, It's been a while since uh, I've been (laughs) this relieved getting in the pulpit. uh, We've had a couple nights of, of not great sleep in a row, and I've got some serious brain fog. And I'm sitting in the front row, church service is commencing. And for the life of me, I cannot remember if I put my sermon on this podium, like I do every Sunday of my life. And so about partway through the first song, I lean over to Cheryl and I say, I am like 90% sure my sermon's up there. If it's not, I'm going to give you a signal. Please go find it somewhere. Uh, You don't want me preaching without notes. You're going to be here an hour and a half. So uh, it's here. So I'm happy. All right. uh, Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get into it. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, We thank you for his grace. Uh, His grace uh, invades all things. Uh, including church and conflict and relationships. And so as that unfolds in the scripture today, may we see it, uh, may we apply it, and may we find our joy in it. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let me ask you, what what is your uh, preferred way to diffuse a conflict? Uh, When you're in a conflict with a person and it's kind of escalating, escalating, how do you like to diffuse it? Some people Uh, just turn away from it. Like, you know, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm not going to acknowledge it. Uh, Some people kind of get angry back. Every once in a while I can find myself doing that, like matching a person. Uh, And and that's not helpful at all uh, to to match uh, anger in a conflict. And then some people like to diffuse it with humor. Uh, I I was reading a, a story about a new employee that was creating a lot of problems in the work atmosphere uh, that they felt that they deserved more money. They felt like they deserved a raise. And uh, the boss was hearing about this conflict that was being created and decides to get involved. So he brings the employee in and he says, listen, I'm hearing that you're unhappy. I'm hearing that you're grousing. How much of a raise do you want? And and the guy starts to stammer around a little bit because he's been caught. And the boss says, well, let me help you out. How would an extra $50,000 a year sound to you? The guy's eyes get real big, and he says, how would you say about an additional five weeks of vacation, 14 more paid holidays, a company car leased every two years, a red Corvette maybe? And uh, the employee stands up, he says, excellent, wow, that's amazing, are you kidding? And the boss says, yeah, but you started it. Um, and uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's diffusing Uh, conflict with with comedy. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians 4. And uh, Paul is more, if you're looking at the different strategies, Paul is a more just call a spade a spade, kind of go after it, acknowledge it, and address it right up front. And that's what he's going to do here in the book of Philippians uh, chapter 4. There's this conflict in the church that has been kind of quietly brewing, and Paul decides uh, to just call it out. And he's going to name Uh, two people in the church uh, by name, their their names are forever uh, written in the book, right? Not for their great acts of faith, but because they were participating in this conflict. And here's what Paul says. Therefore, uh, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended by my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So we see this conflict has arisen up in the Philippian church. church. And truthfully, we have no real idea. History does not tell us about what this conflict was over. I think we can uh, assume that it's not over legalism. Uh, It's not over circumcision's role in salvation because Paul doesn't seem to single out one of the women as right and one of the women as wrong. He pleads with them equally to be unified and he's very quick to not show favoritism. And it's really interesting because if you uh, read Paul's writings throughout the New Testament, he is willing to argue. All right, Paul is. He's willing to fight, but he seems to be willing to argue and fight over the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. How a person is made right with God, Paul will argue that. How a person comes to Jesus, Paul will argue that. Upon what criteria are we saved? He's willing to go to the mat over that because eternity and heaven and a person's relationship with God hangs in the balance. And I think that what we argue about the most is kind of a window into our soul a little bit. What we argue uh, about the most reveals what is most important to us. So let me explain it to you this way. A lot of people, they're not just arguing politics. They're arguing what they think is most important, which is legislative control. They're like, man, if we just had legislative control, this country would improve. People aren't just arguing pandemic response. They're arguing what they think is most important, safety and security. People aren't just arguing their point of view. They're arguing what they think is most important, and that is being right. You ever been in a conflict with someone that you're like, there's no way to win this. They just want to be right. And so you're almost better off saying, yeah, you're right. All right, let's 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 move on. You know, some, some people, that is the, the thing is that is most important to them is being Right, and I think we really want to think through in terms of what we argue about the most. We want to really think through what is most important, what is worth arguing about, and we want to keep our demeanor and our words where, where they should be. This text is also a reminder that not every conflict that we're in has someone who is right and someone who is wrong. Right? Paul doesn't identify that at all. He's like, man. I plead with Yodia to to get her act straight, and Syntyche, you keep doing what you're doing. No, he's saying there's not one person who is right, and there's not one person who is wrong. Paul will sometimes, in other scriptures, refer to these as uh, disputable matters, matters of conscience, and I think it would do well for us to remember, as our nation is beginning a conversation again. not just me, I know, but who is so ready for this pandemic to be over, right? As we're, as we're going into this stretch where we're re-talking about masks and vaccines and pen- pandemic response, I think it's important for us to remember that not everything is simple. Not everything is black and white. There's not always a right, there's not always a wrong. Sometimes both people have a perspective. Now, all that being said, this conflict, whatever it is, this conflict is making a big enough splash and is, and is a big enough deal that Paul decides to add their names into the Holy Scriptures, right? He's like, we we got to address this. And you don't see Paul do this very often, but it's like, man, Yodi and Syntyche are like, man, we've done a lot of other stuff, but this is what we're listed for. And, and Paul calls them out by name. And so this conflict is resulting in a loss of mission. Uh, a a loss of purpose and a loss of joy in this church. And Paul addresses it by addressing two groups. The first is right to Yodi and Syntyche. He says, here's my prayer for you. As you're involved in this conflict, my prayer for you is that you would have the same mind as the Lord. That you would have the same mind as the Lord. Now, hopefully uh, this... Verbiage kind of rings your bell a little bit. Uh, we saw very similar verbiage in Philippians chapter 2 when Paul writes this. In your relationships with one another, looking at you, Yodi and Syntyche, right? Have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He's exhorting them to having the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus who became a servant. By the way, this is almost always Paul's advice. When you study any scripture where he's talking about disputable matters or matters of opinion, Paul's advice is always don't divide yourself from them over a disputable matter. This is a matter of opinion, a matter of conscience. Love them, serve them. Don't let this issue divide you from them. And this is his advice here. And then his second piece of advice is to the rest of the church. So Yodian Sintiki says, man, I plead, have the same mind as Christ. And then to the church, his advice is very simple: help these women that are in this conflict. I love the exhortation because when two people are in a conflict, two people in your life are in a conflict, we all have a choice to make as as their church family. Are we gonna help them move on? Or are we gonna help them become entrenched? Right? And we all have a role to play in that. When we learn that people are in conflict, it's like, what role am I gonna play in in these two people that I love and care about? Maybe there's not a right, maybe there's not a wrong, maybe it's a matter of conscience, a matter of opinion. Am I gonna help them move forward in Christ or am I gonna help them become entrenched in their position? You know what Jesus said one time? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who lean into conflict and help people find another way. Blessed are those who strive toward peace and reconciliation. Now, this is the setup, all right? Paul is then going to go in, and we're going to kind of take these one by one. Paul then goes into a series of mindsets that he prays for this Philippian church that is a much better use of their time than the conflict they've been dwelling on. He says, I want you to have this series of kind of attitudes, and he starts in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This almost sounds, Paul is like transforming into Tony Robbins here, right? Right? It almost sounds like a positive thinking message, but it's not. Because a positive thinking message tends to focus on self. It is self-motivated, self-initiated, self-empowered. And if you ever heard a self-motivational, a motivational talk that focuses on that, you know how obvious it is. Like, you can do this. You can overcome this. You can make it happen. You have it in you. You, you You can do it. In Philippians, that's not what Paul is doing. In Philippians, these attributes are not tied to self, they are tied to Christ. You'll see this one little three-word phrase uh, repeated throughout the book of Philippians a whole bunch of times, and it's this, in the Lord. The attitudes that Paul is talking about, they are not self-motivated, they are not self-initiated, they are not brought on by any kind of uh, self at, at all, they are tied to Jesus. They're empowered by his spirit. They're taught by him. They're found in him. Attitudes like rejoice. Rejoice. It's one of those ideas that doesn't seem uh, to work very well with the situation that Paul is in when he's writing this book, he's in prison. Awaiting to find out if he's going to live or die. And notice he doesn't say, I rejoice being in prison. Now, he will come to a conclusion of it's good for me to be here. It propels the gospel forward that I am here. But he is not advocating that we find joy in the hardship. Sometimes that's the message of the churches. Just find joy in what you're facing. That's not really true or helpful. and some In some cases, it can be hurtful or aggravating. The text is not rejoice in what you're facing. It is rejoice in the Lord. Paul's not happy about being a prison. But he has found a joy in prison that is found in his relationship with Jesus. He's found hope. He's found the Holy Spirit. He's found salvation, peace, contentment, and mission. He's found all these things that are found in Christ, and we can find joy in those. See, the text is not teaching love your circumstances, Some of you are in really tough circumstances. And Paul would not teach you, just love your circumstances. He's saying, no, there is a love in Christ. There is something you can find to love that is in Christ Jesus. And we've all experienced this before. Having a loved one pass away, and you experience this incredible hope in Christ. Going through unemployment and being reminded of the incredible blessing that comes from the support of the church family having a general season of discouragement and receiving regular encouragement from your Christian friends, there is always some joy to be found in Christ. And Yodia and Syntyche, they have lost that joy because of a conflict. And Paul says, you need to find it in Christ. You need to find it in Christ Jesus. Second, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, this church is in the middle of a pretty significant conflict. Like I said, enough that Paul mentions it by name. And notice what Paul does not say here. He doesn't say, let your position be evident to all. Right? Because I'm sure they both had a position on the conflict. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And I feel like this storyline is being lost in our culture and in the church And I blame social media to a certain extent because social media, it thrives off people making their position known, uh, making their opinion known. Uh, It it gives us a voice to let everything that we think should happen uh, be known. And we just live in a day and age where that is prolific in in this time of pandemic and masks and vaccines and all that stuff. You never, ever hear someone say, man, my goal for my social media account is to let my gentleness be seen by all right? What a great use of social media, by the way. I want people to see how gentle I can be uh, when I articulate my point of view. And this was Paul's goal. He said, man, let your gentleness found in Christ, let your gentleness be evident to all. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything, but instead present your request to God with thanksgiving. There's a, when there is a conflict brewing in your life, there's a ton of anxiety, a ton of fear. Conflict induces fear. And there's a lot of ways you can pray during a conflict. There's a lot of ways you can pray uh, when you're sideways with someone. I told you a couple weeks ago, but you read through the Old Testament Psalms, and there are these prayers called the imprecatory Psalms, the cursing Psalms. And a lot of times they happen when uh, somebody's in conflict with another person, and they are their enemy, and they're trying to destroy them. And the the, uh, Psalms just kind of let them rip, right? They are hard to read. It's like, may your kids be dashed against the rocks. It's like, dude, decaf, all right? <laughs> too far, too far, right? And, and they, are, they are just these raw, harsh prayers where it's like, man, God, I'm angry at this person. Go get them, God. And there is a place for those. They help us to be honest. But what Paul is articulating here is another type of prayer in conflict, a prayer of thanksgiving. First of all, for God, because he is good, gracious, and kind, and above all in control, so I don't need to be afraid. When I'm in the middle of a conflict, I don't need to be afraid. But second of all, it is a prayer of thanksgiving, and this is gonna stretch us a little bit, a prayer of thanksgiving for the person we're in conflict with. Um, it's, It's channeling our prayer, not from imprecatory or cursing, but it's channeling our prayers to expressing thanksgiving to God for this person and the role they play in our life. Have you ever noticed that in a conflict, man, your thoughts can really go sideways, can't they? They can really get out of control. And so Paul, as he gets ready to conclude here, Paul wants to give us uh, some things to think about when we're in conflict, uh, some places uh, to to put our thoughts. Uh, The Bible will talk about uh, taking every thought captive. And that's kind of what this text is talking about. Uh, this, I've told you this before, but this text is so important to our family that we actually have etched this scripture in uh, in our house. And so every day we walk by this scripture, and it is just a reminder that sometimes our thoughts get out of control a little bit, but we want to take those captive, and we want to think the thoughts of Christ. And here, And here's what Paul says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. It says, first of all, we want to think about things that are true and right. A friend of mine tells a story a while back of uh, a buddy owed him two hundred dollars, which. Uh, quite a bit of money to be owed, and he talked to his friend about it, and the friend told him, listen, uh, the check's going to be in the mail that day, right? Check's in the mail, right? And uh, two days went by, and a week went by, and the postal service is you know, running a little bit late. And so, you know, he didn't know what to do, but the check still hadn't come. And as the days went on when this check didn't come in the mail, this guy started to have some pretty negative thoughts toward his friend. He's like, man, this guy is stiffing me on this money. He doesn't have good character. He's not reliable. He's never been reliable. He doesn't pay his bills. What on earth? And he's gotten himself all worked up into a frenzy. And all of a sudden he hears a knock at the door and his neighbor said, this accidentally got put in my mailbox a couple days ago. I've been forgetting to bring it over to you. And it was the check from his friend. Make no mistake about it. Deception is a very close friend to conflict. Here's what I mean by that. When you're in a deep conflict with someone and you're having negative thoughts about a person or an organization, uh, sometimes even the government, we, we have a term for what I'm about to talk about. It's called fake news right? That that sometimes when you're in a spiral of negativity, you are believing things about that person or that organization or that entity that simply aren't true. And sometimes it's, you got information through a third party that that could be considered gossip and and it just wasn't true. Or or sometimes you're assuming things about that person or their actions and you think about it now and you're like, I am kind of assuming that I don't know it. And sometimes it's uh, to make an effort uh, to make your case a little bit stronger to the people around you. uh, You've kind of made some stuff up or misremembered some stuff in your head or exaggerated some stuff. And like I said, we actually have a term for this in our culture now of it's fake news. And I'm serious about this. When you think about the object of your negativity, I'm going to ask you to pull back just for a minute and think about what do you know for certain about that person or that entity? What do you know for certain that, that is true? What do you know for certain that, that is right? What do you really, really know firsthand? Not through another person, not through assumption, not through gossip. What do you really know? And Paul is speaking into a church. A lot of rumor, and a lot of assumptions are taking place. And Paul says, we want to focus on, we, we, we serve the God of truth. Um, Jesus came in truth and grace. He's all about the truth. And so we want to set aside assumption. We want to set aside exaggeration. We want to set aside all of that stuff. And we want to focus our minds on what is true. And we want to focus our minds on what is right. Because assumption and exaggeration rarely gets us to any place good. It actually makes me, when I do it, and I find myself doing this all the time where it's like, man, you know, this person, you know, I bet they did this because of this reason. And it's like, whoa, well, I don't know that. I'm assuming that. And I want to focus on what is true and right because when I assume, it just leads me to be more upset and more angry. Paul goes on. He says, we want to focus our thoughts on what is noble and admirable. Uh, the, the Greek word here, it means what is worthy of of respect. So Paul says, man, I am going to focus my thoughts on my energies and the lives of the people I know in terms of things I can admire and things I can respect. Um, I'm reminded how easy it is to look at people, and we all do this all the time, and focus our energy on things we don't respect. Isn't that easy to do? The person you work with, the person you're in a relationship with, that friend. Like, man, I don't respect this, this, or this about them. And that's really easy to do. We have to train our minds to say, what are the things I do respect? What are the things that are noble and admirable in them? And and you can find yourself uh, going down this road when you start to use a lot of extremes. Like, my boss always lies right? If you ever found yourself saying that, it's a, it's an extreme uh, statement. Or my wife is always on my back. You ever found yourself saying that? And may, maybe maybe it's an extreme where my husband is always watching TV and neglects his household chores. That's a person who is choosing to see some things. They're choosing to see some things they can't admire and they can't respect. Um, and here, let me introduce you to kind of a, a, a trait of human nature. This is just true. It's Not in the scriptures, it's just my observation, but here's what is true. What I look for, I find. What I look for, I find. When I uh, was growing up, it was pretty common knowledge that um, my mom had a sweet tooth. It's where I got mine from, I'm absolutely convinced of it. Uh, And she had a sweet tooth, and she would sometimes go to the grocery store and buy candy and cookies and sweets, and she would hide them around the house for when I was at school and my sister was at school for her own kind of pleasure. And every once in a while, I'd get a sweet tooth going. and I just knew that she did this. Everybody knew that she did this. And so I would search the house over until I found the candy, and I usually did. I'd find what I was looking for and I'd eat it. And later that day, this happened on a number of occasions, later that day, I would overhear my mom blaming my dad for the missing candy. And I just kind of walked to my room with a big smile on my face. (laughs) I'll let dad absorb this for me, you know? Uh, Got away with it again. And, and, And you will typically find exactly what you're looking for. If you're looking for something to be cynical about, guess what? You can find it. If you're looking for something to be negative about, guess what? You can find it. If you're looking for something to be angry about, boy, 2021, are you kidding me? Right? You'll find it. On the opposite side, if we train our mind to say, I'm gonna look for something I can admire, you'll find it. I'm gonna look for something good, you'll find it. I'm gonna look for something worthy of respect, you'll find it, it's human nature. We find what we're looking for. And so Paul is admonishing them to look for what is noble and look for what is admirable and focus on those things. Finally, he says we wanna focus on what is pure. Uh, it has to do with a person's motives. And Paul is asking a really important question here: Is What if our attitude just began to assume that people's motives were pure? Because it's easy to believe the opposite, right? They didn't call me back because they don't like me. Um, they gave me a bad review because they're jealous of me. They didn't do what I asked them to do because they don't love me. And here's the deal with this whole thing. Their motives may absolutely be impure. They may be every bit of the Greek word is jerk, right? That you assume they are. And here's the other thing that's true. There isn't anything you can do about that. And by speculating with their mo- on their motives and by dwelling on it, you aren't hurting them, you aren't changing them, you aren't impacting them. As a matter of fact, the opposite of true. You're the one being impacted by assuming their motives are wrong. You're the one being brought down by negativity. You're the one wallowing in self-pity. And so Paul says, what if, not necessarily for their sake but for yours, what if we began to think in terms of that their motives were, were good? and their motives were pure. And I know what you're thinking, because I thought the same thing, all right? If I can just kind of read the room for a minute, you say, well, then I would be naive, right? If I just assumed their motives were good, I'd become like a doormat, and I would be super naive. And I say, absolutely. You'd be naive and happy. You'd be naive and joyful. You'd be naive and peaceful, which to me, beats 100% right and miserable any day of the week. And so some of it, we just need to choose naivety a little bit and say, I'm just going to do what Paul says, and I'm going I'm to focus on what is pure, and I'm going to assume their motives are, are pure. And if at some point they demonstrate to you that they're not, I'm not asking to walk in, in, in total delusion, Right, And you may need to distance yourself from that person. But by and large, I'm going to assume people that I interact with, that their motives are good, that the service is slow because they're having a bad day, or, or, or they're understaffed, or whatever the case may be. I'm going to begin to assume the best in people and walk in blissful ignorance and naivety and be happier because of it. This is what Paul says as he concludes. He says, here's what happen. If we can take captive our thoughts especially in the middle of conflict, when it's especially hard, if we can take captive our thoughts, he says the God of peace will be with you. God will partner your thought life. God will partner with your thought life and he will give you peace. Because this sort of thinking, it always leads to peace. Isn't it right? That when we focus on what is true and what is right and what is noble and what is pure, Paul says the path to that is we end up in peace. And some of us really need that right now. That you have found yourself just watching news program after news program after news program and you're feeling more and more negative and angry and disillusioned and you're assuming motives that you couldn't possibly know. And you're assuming actions that you couldn't possibly understand why that person reached the conclusion they did, but you're just getting angrier and angrier. I see that in our culture. Paul says, take that captive, and you focus on what is true, and what is right, and what is noble, and what is good, and the God of peace will be with you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his peace. We thank you for his love. And uh, I want to pray for all of us in this room right now that uh, this, I think this year, it's just been really easy for these things to happen that Paul is talking about. It's easy uh, for our thoughts to go sideways, for assumptions to kick in, and for us to be really, really negative. It's it's easy. It, It is, it's a battle every day, but it is a battle worth fighting in you. And so we want to take captive thoughts that are not going to lead us to a good place. And we want you to speak into our heart and to speak into our mind the thoughts that you want us to have. So right now, we give those thoughts to you. And right now, whatever is pure and whatever is noble and whatever is admirable and whatever is kind, we want to direct our thoughts at those things. Help us to do it. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Like I said, it would be easy uh, to kind of channel Tony Robbins or Zig Ziglar or another self-help person into the Apostle Paul. Say, man, Paul was kind of the first uh, self-help guy. He, he really was not. This is why he repeatedly uses the phrase, in the Lord. Right in the Lord. So Jesus transforms our thinking. Jesus transforms our thought life. Jesus transforms our actions. So we want to be laser set on him and ask him to help us to do this. That man, Jesus, you are all about what is true and noble and good and right. We want to follow you to that place. And we don't want to assume anymore. We don't want to focus on the negative anymore. We want to focus on what you want us to. And that is found in him. So we receive communion here uh, every week as a memory of the work that he did for our salvation. Um, And we want to remember that and we want to rejoice in it and we want to thank him and we want to leave this place empowered by it. So this is his body given for you. This is his blood poured out. May we walk as he walked and may 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 we leave this place empowered by his spirit to live a different, new, and better way. Uh, God bless you guys. We're going to stand and sing one last song. Uh, Next Sunday we're going to be ending uh, this series on the book of Philippians so I want to invite you back to join us for the conclusion. Let's stand and sing one last song.